0: You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. I want to know how many services my technicians were able to complete divided by how many they were expected to complete. So for our company, we send reminders for upcoming appointments the day before. So if a technician doesn't complete a route, that means that either a customer was left hanging, which hurts our reputation and the relationship with that customer, or more likely we had to pull additional resources from elsewhere to finish that route, which has a tangible impact on the team. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast, a podcast designed to help you become a bug money millionaire. Today's episode is brought to you by Bug Bucks Plus, the number one course designed to help you start and grow your pest control company. I am your host, Eric Bassett. Alan is traveling today, so this is going to be a solo episode. Before we dive into our main topic for today, I just want to remind everybody listening, the best way to receive new episodes is by subscribing to our show on your preferred platform, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you love the show, please leave us a rating and review. And one last reminder, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, go to Bug Bucks, that is B-U-G-B-U-X on Facebook. We've got over 3,400 other pest control owners in that group waiting to connect with you and share their thoughts. That's also the best way for you to share your feedback on our show, and we love to hear from our listeners. Speaking of the Facebook group, today I'm going to be answering some questions from one of our members. Shane Mance recently asked the question, has anyone implemented an end-of-season after-action review? This is an awesome question, and it's a great time of year to dive into this as we start Q4. I actually think we'll likely make a Bug bucks course on this that includes tools and resources that you can download. If you're already familiar with the term after-action review, that's great. If not, just think of it as a performance review that usually has a predetermined time frame or past event that you are evaluating. So maybe you've got monthly, quarterly, semi-annual, or annual performance reviews. Regardless of the frequency or whether or not you're reviewing a specific event or a specific time of the year, we're gonna talk about some key specifics of these reviews and talk about some pro tips. Where I usually like to start when it comes to any type of performance review is narrowing down what data and information you're trying to get and why that's important to you and your organization. If you are fortunate enough to plan ahead, you might already have a bunch of data points that cover the time period you're gonna be reviewing. And they're specific to the department or the person you're doing the review for. If you don't have those data points already, that's okay. You can always go digging and see what you can find. The important thing to remember is that you wanna focus on why that information is important to you and the organization even if you don't have any data and somehow no way to get it. There's still plenty of opportunity to do a performance review. Just know that most of the answers you're going to get will be colored with a lot of opinion and rely heavily on the person being reviewed having a good memory. Plus, the longer the timeline for the review, the more cloudy the information is. It's still a fantastic practice, but it's always best when the information you've got is as accurate as possible. So that you can make reliable plans so let's talk about what information people are looking for here what's going to be useful to you and the organization let's start with some data-driven examples now i know that i've already talked about inside sales metrics on previous episodes so today i'm going to switch gears and talk about technician metrics instead so if i was doing a performance review for a technician i might look at these metrics the first one here is going to be completion percentage And I'm not sure how many of you guys actually track this data point, but we recently started tracking this. And I want to share some of the reasons why we actually like this particular metric. I want to know how many services my technicians were able to complete divided by how many they were expected to complete. So for our company, we send reminders for upcoming appointments the day before. So if a technician doesn't complete a route, That means that either a customer was left hanging, which hurts our reputation and the relationship with that customer, or more likely, we had to pull additional resources from elsewhere to finish that route, which has a tangible impact on the team. This metric can also be expressed by a technician's drop or drop-off percentage, and that's just the opposite of completion percentage. So a technician with a 98% completion rate will have a 2% drop rate. Ultimately, this tells me as a business owner how reliable my technicians are, assuming that the office is scheduling stops with proper logistics in mind. A side note about this metric, completion percentage can never exceed 100%. Either they did all the stops they were expected to do, or they didn't. We'll talk more about what happens when they do more than expected later. This next one might be a little uncommon for some, and we recently started tracking this one. Pickup percentage is how many stops on a technician's route are in addition to the original number they were expected to do. So in other words, how many extra stops did they, quote, pick up? So in case you're wondering, we do have our office staff contact and communicate with the technicians before they just drop extra stops on their routes. I think just giving guys extra work without a heads up is a quick way to lose a technician, even if there's an expectation that he'll take the extra work regardless. I like to track pickup percentage because it shows me how many of my guys in the team are willing to finish their own work and are capable and willing to take on more work. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's a common trend that employees who are really good at what they do get rewarded with just more work, which in their mind likely sucks. It's a misalignment of goals. They're trying to be efficient so they can be done with their workload quicker and easier, not because they want more work. So tracking a pickup percentage and letting the technicians know that we value that realigns our goals. It really shows me who's a team player and who I can rely on in a pinch. Techs with a high pickup percentage also quickly become the office staff favorite because they help them out in a pinch when it comes to needy customers. A fun twist on the drop-off and pickup percentages is tracking the difference between the two over time. We also recently started doing this. And I'll give you an example of why it's been useful for us. If a technician drops a few stops one week, but then picks up a few the next, eventually he's going to have a running average of both metrics. And at the end of the day or week or month, I'm going to want to know whether he dropped more than he picked up or the other way around. It shows me whether a guy is adding to the team or taking away from the team on average. So maybe a guy has a 96% completion rate over a given month, which means he dropped 4% of his services, but he worked hard to recover and picked up 3% additional stops. So he's still at a 96% completion rate, but the difference between his drop-off and pickup only put him at negative 1% instead of 4 This metric allows me to see at a quick glance whether this tech is a multiplier or diminisher, and to what degree. If you're wondering if I've got some crazy metric That combines all of those into an easy one-look way of seeing how a guy is doing overall. Yes. Yes, I do. Mostly because I can't help myself, and I wanted an easy way for everyone in the room to be able to compare one tech to another without having to pull out a calculator. We call this their snap percentage, short for snapshot, and it's not nearly as complicated as I make it sound. The snap percentage is just a combination of a technician's completion rate and the difference between drop-off and pick-up percentage. Depending on if you value a technician picking up a stop versus dropping off a stop differently. We don't, at least not as far as the numbers say. That means a technician who drops two stops and then later in the week picks up two extra, we consider him redeemed. And even though his completion percentage is likely somewhere stuck in the 90% range, his snap percentage will show 100%. This also allows technicians who pick up more stops than they drop to have a higher snapshot percentage than just 100%. This really starts to show you who your rock stars are in the team, and it highlights those guys who bend over backwards to help the team and get work done, which as owners, we value a lot. All right, I promise the next few examples aren't going to be nearly as mind-numbing. Whether you pay technicians hourly or based on production or a combination of the two, Uh, One of the metrics we keep an eye on is stops per hour worked, which isn't exactly the same as stops per hour. So I might have a goal for a technician to do two regular stops an hour, assuming 20 minutes per regular stop and 10 minutes of drive time, etc. But the stops per hour worked takes into consideration the paid breaks they take twice a day and the prep time before and after the route when they're clocked in doing important work, but aren't actually out on the road. Our guys work for 10 hour shifts, which are really more like 11 hour shifts when you include the 30 minute breaks and 15 minutes before the route and 15 minutes after. During the summer months, our guys are scheduled 18 stops per day. And if we divide that by the 11 hours they clocked in for, we get a stops per hour of 1.63. What's interesting about this metric is that there's a healthy range that you're trying to stay within. When that number gets too low, you worry about efficiency issues. But if that number gets too high, you start worrying about quality issues. This metric is especially helpful for companies who pay their techs by the hour, since there's less incentive for the technician to be extra efficient, since doing so would only hurt his overall pay. Another metric that's easy to track has been a pretty common one for us and other companies that we've been working with, Google reviews, both the quantity and the quality. Whether you have an incentive for technicians to get reviews or not, it's a nice quality indicator and it's something that the technicians have a high degree of influence over. It also might help me understand a technician who takes a little longer on his stops but has a ton of five-star reviews from customers who appreciate how thorough he is. As a company who spends a significant amount of money on digital and online marketing, I'm very interested in having a steady flow of high-quality, relevant reviews which help boost my exposure to potential customers. It also helps boost the morale of the team when they can see and hear about the positive impact that they have on their customers. I'm not going to dive too deep into the weeds on reviews here, but you get the idea on why we want to track these. Reservice rate is another one that gets thrown around pretty often. From a quality perspective, it can be a really revealing metric but it usually works best for companies who have technicians that are assigned to specific areas and always service the same customers. Otherwise, it's more tricky to determine whether or not a specific technician has a positive or negative impact on reservice rate. It's not impossible to figure out. It's just a little less clear. But you can still use this information to review the performance of a whole department or a branch, which is still helpful. Another metric along those same lines that follows similar rules is route retention. If you want to track it per technician, you need to isolate that variable. But if you're just curious from a general standpoint, you can track this as a company if you have specific routes lined out. One last metric example that I want to mention, and then we'll move on. Attendance is one of those metrics that sounds like it belongs more in an HR office than anything else, but I'm sure that technicians calling out is something that drives every pest control owner crazy. It doesn't just impact your ability to generate revenue. It impacts customers and their schedules when you have to reroute services. It affects the office staff who have to make all those rescheduling calls and the technicians who have to take on the extra workload. Sometimes it'll pull managers and even owners out of meetings and off of other important tasks. It can create a wave of backlog that can follow you for weeks depending on the size of the company and how many techs call out. I know that life happens. People get sick family emergencies come up, etc. I'm not saying that you don't cut these guys some slack. I'm just saying that you track how often they're calling out so you can compare which guys are impacting your company the most. Ultimately, it's the employee's responsibility to ensure they can show up when they say they're going to show up. A good company will have a team who's willing to help out when the guy needs it, but those habitual offenders definitely have a tangible impact on the whole company. Okay, enough about the numbers. What about the actual format? This is where organization and consistency can really help, especially in the long term where you want to be able to refer back to these reviews and track trends in performance over time. This is the format that I like to use when I do weekly developments and my other performance reviews regardless of the time span. The only thing that really changes here is how much data we're going to be reviewing. So whenever I start a performance review, I like to ask how they're doing as a person. I want to know what's going on in their life outside of work, what they're passionate about, what's been fulfilling, what's been tough, how's their family, etc. The more I know about their environment outside of work, the more context I have when it comes to their performance at work. It's also a great opportunity to learn about your team members and show them that you care about more than just the numbers. You can connect to a person on a more personal note, which helps build trust and ease any tension. What I usually do next is show them the data. I really prefer my team members to be able to look at the data the same way that I do and clearly know whether they are performing to our standards or not. If I'm showing them a spreadsheet, it's likely one they've seen before and regularly use. I've probably explained exactly what the numbers mean and where I want those numbers to be. I want to be as clear as possible about the performance that I expect out of my team so we don't have to waste any time trying to get on the same page. The worst thing you can do is bring a team member in for a performance review and show them data that they have little to no context for. As Alan says often, the easiest way to be unfair with somebody is to be unclear with them. So make sure they not only see the data, but understand it as well. Next up is asking them what they think went well or has been going well over the period they're being reviewed on. I really like to start with the positive here so we can spend some time highlighting the good things before we dive into the bad. Team members need to know what their positive contributions are just as much, if not more so than what their negative impact is. And in my experience, they need the positive stuff first. Plus, it follows a flow that will reveal itself as we work through the format. When it comes to the positive stuff, don't be surprised when they aren't sure what to say, even when the data is right in front of them. This can be a common thing, especially when reviewing team members who aren't familiar with performance reviews. It's always a good idea to have your own notes ahead of time, so you can mention something and get that conversation started. Don't forget to use the data, though. This is a really good learning opportunity for your team members to see things as you do and learn how to communicate about those data points. You really want them to learn how to self-evaluate during this process. The more they can share about their performance, the more you'll know about their ability to self-evaluate and how accurately they view their performance. You can, of course, fill in when needed. The next step we take is discussing what their areas of opportunity are. We specifically use that terminology because that's exactly how we want to see team members viewing their mistakes or shortcomings. They are opportunities to improve. You should expect a similar response as a previous section and all the same pro tips here apply let the team members self-evaluate as much as possible and step in when needed to provide context and clarity you want to help them dig as deep as possible to uncover the root cause of the issue the last step is where it all comes together this is where we ask what their action plan for improvement is if the person you were reviewing struggled to engage in the last two steps You should expect them to struggle just as much, if not more, on this one. You have to imagine that if they already knew what they needed to do to improve, they'd be doing it already. But most of the time, the reason these improvements aren't happening is because there isn't a specific plan in place to execute on them. But just like before, do your best to allow the team member to come up with their own plan and only step in if you need to. The more involvement they have with their plan, the more personally committed they will be to it. A key element is that it needs to include efforts by the team members that are directly influenceable by them, and they have complete control over. We know these as lead measures. It also needs to be tied to whatever metric that they want to improve. We know these as lag measures. It's your responsibility as a leader to ensure the plan moving forward is filled with lead measures and not empty promises to just improve lag measures. For example, on a weekly or a monthly review, A technician who wants to improve his completion rate, which he has identified as a result of the disorganization of his service vehicle and lack of preparation, might make the commitment to ensure his vehicle is prepped and ready for tomorrow's route at the end of the day today, not the following morning. And then we work together with regular check-ins and make sure that they are properly executing on that plan. If your team member is really struggling to come up with an action plan. Here's something that I like to use, which helps organize things. We call it a start-stop-continue. You have the team member identify one action they need to start to improve performance, one action they need to stop to avoid the negative impact, and one action they need to continue to maintain their current positive performance. Just make sure the start and stop actions aren't just opposites of one another. Before the review ends, I like to throw out just a couple other non-performance-related questions. The first is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your experience here in the last however long you're reviewing? You could also ask them the same question in the Net Promoter Score format and say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely would you be to recommend a position at our company to one of your friends or family? Answers to that might be a little mixed based on their friends and family's work preferences, so I don't ask that one super often. The next question is What aspect of your job contributes most to lowering that score, or which aspect has the most negative impact on you currently? After that, I ask the same question, but the opposite What aspect of your job contributes most to raising that score, or which aspect has the most positive impact on you currently? You might be a little surprised what your team members will tell you when you ask for that kind of feedback and encourage them to be honest with you. It usually provides you as the leader really actionable context that you can use for your own action plan and commitments to your team members, which brings me to my last question. What can I and the other leaders do for you to make your experience here better? Now, make sure you start this off as an open-ended what and not a closed-ended is like Is there anything I can do for you? If you ask in that format, the team member will usually just say no. So just remember the information and context is your ally. The more you know, even if it's information you don't like, the better you can run your organization. As you regularly do these types of reviews with your team members, you should start to see them being more engaged in providing feedback as they learn how to see and use the data and become more familiar with self-evaluation. Eventually, you can send them the data and the prompts ahead of time, and they can come to the meeting prepared with answers that you both review together. Just as a quick side note, some of you might be looking for after action reviews or performance review examples because you've got one or more technicians looking for a raise, or it's that time of year that you do raises, and you want to be able to gauge what amount makes sense. So, we obviously don't do raises every time we do a performance review. But we commonly do performance reviews when we do raises, especially if it's for a high-level employee. We want our employees to understand that their performance has a direct correlation to their value and their pay. When they understand that, they feel less entitled and more invested. And that's why it's important to choose performance numbers that align with your goals as a leader. When the team members' and leaders' goals are aligned, the whole organization can move forward with the same focus. All right, let's review. We'll break this down into 10 quick steps. The first step with after-action reviews is to choose which data you want and how you want to use it to measure a team member's or department's performance. The second step is to make sure your team members understand those data points and what they mean in relation to their performance ahead of time. Third is to schedule a sit-down meeting, which can be anywhere from 15 to 60 minutes, or sometimes longer, where you'll review the data and walk through it together. Fourth is to gain context about the team member's life outside of work. The more context you have about them, the better. Fifth is to actually show them the data and begin a discussion about it, encouraging them to ask questions if they aren't sure about what something means. You want to be able to communicate fluently with one another about the numbers. Sixth is to dive into what they feel is going well. You always start off with the positive first, encourage them to self-evaluate and come up with their own conclusions. You only step in and help as needed and to acknowledge and validate. Seventh is to discuss the areas of opportunity or areas of improvement. Same rules apply here, and it's even more crucial that they learn to self-evaluate with this section. Eighth is to discuss what action they're going to take to execute on those improvements. They must choose a lead measure that influences a lag measure that they want to improve. As the leader, you regularly check in with them and make sure they are properly executing on it. If they struggle with the action plan, you can use a start-stop-continue format. Ninth is to ask for non-performance-related feedback. Have them rate their experience along with the negative and positive contributing factors. And ask them how you can make their experience here better. And the tenth and final step is to have these types of reviews and discussions regularly. The more you do this, the more aligned your team members' goals will be to yours, and the more effectively you'll be able to communicate about and execute on what matters most in your organization. All right, guys, that's my take on the after action review and performance reviews. I appreciate you all joining in to listen. If you've got a business partner, a manager, a friend, or just someone you know who would benefit from better understanding the after action or performance reviews, please share this episode. One last reminder, if you haven't already, please join our Facebook group. That's B-U-G-B-U-X. And of course, This episode is brought to you by Bug Bucks Plus, the number one course designed to help you start and grow your pest control companies. Make sure you check it out at bugbucksplus.com. And until the next episode, keep building those pest control companies. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.